You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 123 for Monday, the 15th of October, 2018. Now, today's guest is Nathan Burrows, a UK indie author who's based in Norfolk. His debut novel, Blind Justice, was published in March 2018. Nathan's latest release is The Butcher, a dark post-Brexit comedy. It's the first in a trilogy of dark comedy thrillers which are based in Norfolk. The next in the trilogy, The Baker, is slated for release in late autumn 2018. As well as being a voracious reader, Nathan runs the occasional marathon, which is how we connected in the first place. Not by running marathons, you understand. Nathan did the running and listened to my podcast along the way. I just did the talking, as per usual. When we chatted for the podcast, I began by asking Nathan what got him writing in the first place. I've always been interested in writing. Um, I was a reader first, like most of us, and that was pretty much the only thing I was any good at at school was, was English and reading and stuff like that. Um, but I think, to be honest, Paul, it started out as a bucket list thing. Um, I've never written a book. I've read lots of books. I've finished lots of books and thought, mm, I could probably do better than that if I put my mind to it. Um, so I set out to write a book. And what was your genre as a reader? Because you write thrillers. Is that what you read as well? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I've dipped in and out of most genres um, over the years, but but really thrillers, crime thrillers. Uh, I do like a good legal thriller. Um, so, yeah, write what you know. So you say it was a bucket list thing. So I, were you the kind of child who, you know, scribbled stories as, as well? <laughs> I was indeed. Uh, and do you know what? I was clearing out my loft a couple of weeks ago and I found some of them. And oh, oh, my word, they are not good. Um, but, you know, they, they were, well, they're 40 years old now, the, 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 the most of them. So, yeah, it's been a long journey. OK, well, look, I, I, I freely admit that my first classic was called Mr. Plum and Mr. Apple. So, so come on, it's confession time. Give, give us some, cl- <laughs> g- g- give us some clues. Uh, right, okay. Um, there was one that was called "I've Been Eaten by a Giant Spider," um, <laughs> <laughs> which was um, which was an interesting uh, first person retrospective um, written from beyond the grave when I was, I think, eight or nine. Blimey, that's a, that's a bit high concept. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? I know, I know, but I, I don't think I realised that at the time. It's only looking back I thought, oh, was I a twisted child or what? Um, and then Revenge of the Spider uh, was the follow up. Again, never never published. Um, yeah, and stuff like that, really. Well, I can tell you, when I was nine and writing Mr. Plum and Mr. Apple, I was not ready for high concept like you. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my stories were a lot simpler. <laughs> Fly me. So, but it's funny, isn't it? So many of the writers I talk to, you know, really got into this as a kid. But I'm guessing as you got older, um, did you get more self-conscious about it or did you just kind of find other things that interested you? I, I don't know, to be honest, Paul. I mean, it was... It was one of those things that I've always thought, oh, I fancy having a go at that at some point. And then, you know, stuff gets in the way, life gets in the way. Um, and then suddenly you get to where, where I am now, which is in my mid-40s. And you think, well, I've, I've never written a book, but I think I think I could. So I want to get that done before I'm 50. So let, let's give it a go. All right. So you're that side of 50. I'm the other side of 50. I'm looking at 60 now. Oh, okay. <laughs> For my bucket list, you know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it is a time of life kind of thing, isn't it, I think? Because uh, when did I start? I'm just trying to think. Yeah, so I would have been before 50, I think, when I started. So um, 50 is that kind of magic age, isn't it? You are aware that the, the years are beginning to plod by. And if you don't do it soon... It, no. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's Statistically, it's over halfway. Uh, that's kind of how I see it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so, you, so you've read a lot. When you started to write them, was it always going to be thrillers? Was that always going to be a genre? I, I think so, yes. Um, I mean, to be honest, it's the, the, the kind of the, the path to me writing is, is a bit of a weird one. Um, and I mean, if you're happy, we, we can talk about that a bit. Yeah, because of course, I like it, it weird does, paths, yeah. It, it does sort of put it into context. Um, my, my real life job uh, is in the military, in the UK military, uh, and I'm a medic by trade. And in 2006, uh, I did a tour in Afghanistan that was a particularly hard tour. Um, And I struggled, I think that's fair to say, afterwards. And I was advised to to write about 
my experiences as a, as a way of, you know, working it through and, and what have you. Um, so I started a, a retrospective diary, if you like, um, in the third person. And then I finished that, I sat down, I read it, and I thought, oh, do you know what, that's, that's a bit boring, really. What that needs is, is this. And I had one of those what-if moments. And I think most people who write the start of a, a story, a proper story, is always a what-if moment. You sit there and you, you see something or you think about something and you think, what if... And then whatever comes after that develops into the story. So I started adding bits and pieces to, to this, what was originally a retrospective diary to sort of spice it up a little bit. So the main character in what became the story was effectively me, but suddenly it's a piece of fiction. So I became better looking, fitter, <laughs> uh, you know, just, just generally all around nicer and all that sort of stuff. And the people I was interacting with in, in, what was the diary became characters in a story. Um, and then it all went a bit weird in that um, I realised that if it was going to be a story, and I had an inkling that actually this might make a reasonably good book. So I developed a, a plot line that was just completely out there and nothing to do with my original experiences whatsoever. Uh, and before I knew it, I'd got to about 120,000 words. Um, and I sat back and I thought, crikey, I, I've, I've written something that long. It was rubbish, don't get me wrong. But it gave me the confidence to go right back to the start and say, right, okay, I can write something of that length that is, is vaguely readable. So I'm going to learn from that experience and I'm going to start again in the thriller genre because that's what I'm most well read in. Uh, and that was where the, the genesis of the first book was. Dare I describe your first you know, efforts at writing? Were they memoir or is diary a fairer description of it? It started out as a diary, uh, then it became a memoir, uh, and then it just descended into a work of utter fiction. Um, and by, the, by the time I finished it, I read it and I was like, oh, crikey, nobody can, nobody can ever read this. Um, because the, the fiction element had just taken over the, the diary, as it were. So, for example, um, the, the character in the story that was originally based on me, I realised he needed some sort of a love interest. So I put a female, um, a female medic character in, and, and they had a bit of a, a bit of a tension thing going on. And when I read it, I was like, "Crikey, my wife can't read this; she'll go mad," because no, none of it's true. It's, it's utter fiction, um, and it was just. I think because it was based originally based on what was such a personal thing for me, um, and it was you know a fictionalised version with stuff that never actually happened uh, and what have you, it it just wasn't something I'd be comfortable letting other people read. Did it do the job though? Because you originally started writing it as a form of uh, therapy, didn't you? Did it did it help? You? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And that, that was the original purpose of, of writing this uh, this sort of retrospective diary memoir, whatever you want to call it, um, was a kind of exorcism, if, if you will. Um, and it certainly did the job. And it gave me it, it gave me the confidence to write. It gave me the, the knowledge that I had the ability to write. Um, and that was when it all started slightly more seriously. 120,000 words as a, you know, as an opening shot is, is, is a lot. I mean, I think I went to 50 <laughs> and was delighted to have got there when I did my first book. So 120, that's, that's more right, you know, words than most people have ever written in their life before. Um, how did that feel to you? Was it so sort of, you know, fits and starts that it, it didn't feel like 120? It didn't feel like 120. Uh, there's a lot of rambling in there. Um, and looking back, now, uh, you know, I, I can look at it with a slightly more objective eye, with a slightly more um, kind of author's eye and think, well, if I was ever going to publish this, then that would go, this would go, that would go, that plot line's nonsense. So it was fairly freeform um, and it just went on and on and on until I got to the end and thought, well, I think I'm done. And then I did the word count. And I was like, oh, crikey, it's a bit long. And just to clarify, before we sort of we delve into the the, the writing bit, we, we I kind of leapt a little bit there because we we started with the kind of very high concept writing as an eight year old, and then <laughs> and then we jumped to this kind of you know diary memoir. Was was there any kind of writing in between? You know, other than the kind of boring corporate report kind of writing that we all have to do. No, no, nothing at all, nothing at all. And any outlet for your creativity at all? Well, I tried uh, I tried photography. Uh, I was big into photography, but I wasn't very good at that either um i did I, I still do take photos and and what have you but is it really as is it the same kind of creative expression as writing i don't know that it is to be honest um it is still a creative expression but they're so vastly different art forms so i'm i'm not sure there's a correlation between the two 
It's funny how life gets in the way for so many of us, isn't it? That it took you until you were nearly fifty until. No, you know, no, not nearly fifty, mate. I'm only forty-seven. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I, well, that means I'm nearly fifty because I'm fifty-three. <laughs> I'm, I'm just past fifty. If, if we're playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> Almost useful, I'd describe myself as. And if, if if we're allowed a plus or minus three years on that, I think we're good to go with that. I think let's let's lie together, shall we? Delude yep. ourselves together. I, I know you kind of hang on to the years, don't you? At a certain stage, <laughs> <laughs> desperately. So, okay, so you'd, you've written one hundred and twenty thousand words, and then um, it was like, okay, let's get serious about this. Let's do that properly. So, when you set out to write the first, uh, I'm using air quotes here, proper book. Um, were you aiming for 120 that time around? Uh, no, not really. Um, I mean, I, I kind of when I when I sat down and had a word with myself and said, right, okay, I'm going to take this seriously and I'm going to I'm going to try to write something that's commercially successful and, and readable. Um, and I came up with a, a well, I had a three year plan, a five year plan, and a ten year plan. That was how I, I planned it out because I'm in the military and we like planning things. We can't not. So I took the first. The first year, um, and I thought, right, at the end of this year, I want to have done two things. I want to have educated myself as much as possible about writing, about the whole publishing piece, about the self-publishing, the independent publishing journey, about how all that stuff works. And I want to write something of publishable length. Um, And I had about 100,000 words in the back of my mind as a a good length for for a thriller, um, so that was my original goal, was about 100,000 words. And where did you go then to immerse yourself in that, that writing life? What were your sources of information? Well, the, the primary one, really, was, was podcasts. Um, I mean, I'd, I spend a lot of time in the car, um, and I spend a fair bit of time running as well. And two things you can do when you're either driving or running is, is listen to stuff, and you can't really do a lot else. So I started dipping into podcasts and, and basically subscribed to as many as I could, worked out which ones were the most valuable in terms of um, educating me about the whole self-publishing process. Um, And I listened to them. So the first six months really was, right, I I want to understand this industry. I want to take a a logical approach to understanding it in order to make the best of what I hopefully am about to write in the second six months. And then when you approach self-publishing and you started to listen to the podcast, you know, some people find it completely overwhelming. And I, I know I've done talks to people who think it's just as easy as writing a book. And then you see what's really involved. You say, oh, crikey, I don't fancy that. What's, what, what, what are you like on kind of the tech scale, zero to ten? Does it, does it worry you? Are you good at this stuff? Uh, no, I'm, 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 a, I'm a geek. I'm an absolute geek. Um, anything to do with computers, I'm, I'm more than happy with. And, uh, you know, obviously in, in today's world of self-publishing, it can all be done with with a laptop, with a computer. So I'm, I'm more than happy with that side of things. Great. So you're happy to throw yourself into that. Um, which um, I always say to people, don't, don't mention my podcast, but just talk about other podcasts. Which Where were you getting the most value when you were sort of doing that stuff? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many of them now. That's the thing. Um, I mean, the main ones for me, really, as, as a Brit, um, I'd have to say would be uh, Mark Dawson and his um, uh, his podcast, Mark Dawson and James Blatch, um, and Joanna Penn would be the other one as the standout too. Um, but equally, there's a whole bunch of other ones, and I tend to dip in and out of the other ones depending on what the episodes are about, depending on what I think I can get from them. So off the top of my head, Selma Book Show with um, Brian Cohen and Kevin Tomlinson, that, that's a good one. Very US-focused, but very good, and I, I like the news bit and the tips of the week bit etc um there's the ally uh, the alliance of independent authors podcast they have some really good stuff on there so I, I tend to dip in and out according to the content but the the mainstays are and i know you said you didn't want me to mention yours but the three that i always listen to without fail are yours um joanna penn and mark dawson and james Blatches. Well, I'm very grateful for you uh, listening. It doubles my figures, which is brilliant. So <laughs> thank you thank you very much for that. But no, I, I do. I appreciate people who've listened for a long time. And it's, you know, it's great. I, what I love is like, you know, I think I, you and I started talking before you'd published your book. And it's, yeah. re- it's really great for me to sort of see authors who hadn't published a book. And, then I, and actually in this next batch of interviews, I'm talking to so many people who've got the book out now. And now we're talking about it. And I find that um, fantastic, you know, to, to see that progression. It's wonderful, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, do you know what? I'll be honest, Paul, it's really weird because I've spent that long listening to you, either in the car or, or plodding out on training runs. Um, and, and now you're actually talking back to me and I'm struggling slightly to get my head around it. It's very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, the advantage is when I'm in the car, you can turn me off. 
I know, I know. I've shouted at you so many times, mate, and, and now I'm here, and if I shout, you're going to shout back at me. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. This one replies. I know I know it is a bit odd for people, isn't it? I know, because... Uh, <laughs> But it's it's nice for me to talk to people. You know, so I've been really looking forward to chatting to you because we've been kind of you know you chat on and off to people online and it's it's great. Um, so that's podcasts. Were there any kind of books? You know, so I, you know I love the Save the Cat, uh, for instance. But was there anything any books that sort of resonated with you and gave you your you know your structure or something that helped you out along the way? I've tried very hard to to read books about craft, uh, and I've really not got on with them at all. I'm I'm not quite sure why, to be honest. Whether it's whether it's the medium that it's presented in, whether it's the... Uh, I, I really don't know. Um, sorry, my phone just went off. I do apologise. That's all right. Um, yeah, uh, it's... No, uh, simple answer, um, no. I've tried reading books about craft and about self-publishing, and I much prefer the the, uh, the spoken word. I, I think it's probably because when I'm listening to, to podcasts and, and what have you, I've also got time to think and process and if I'm reading, I don't necessarily have that time. I, I read for pleasure. I read because I want to read predominantly fiction. I don't necessarily want to think about it. I just want to read it and be entertained, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah, that's actually really interesting. And, and, and people learn and retain information, I think, in different ways. I, I will often listen to an audio book, for instance, and then I'll if there's loads of stuff in it, I go and get the book and then go and underline the book. So, yeah. um, you know, I think everybody has to come to it in their own way. Um, so... You'd written 120,000 words, which is, I think, is more than I've ever written, uh, 120,000 words. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of words. Um, and uh, then you went to, to write a, a proper book. Um, did you plan it? Was it structured or kind of in your head? I, I had a vague plan uh, in that I knew where I wanted the book to start and I knew where I wanted to the, the I, I knew where I wanted the book to end. So it was a case of getting from a to c and making up everything in the middle uh, i didn't plan it as much as with hindsight perhaps I, I should have planned it or could have planned it and i think that extended the editing process it made it longer to actually get the book to a point where it was ready for market because i hadn't plotted it all the way through my subsequent book my second book and, and the book that i'm writing at the moment they're quite tightly plotted uh, because I'm, I'm trying to focus in and, and to make it as efficient as possible yeah, I think you learn as you go along, don't you? And I also oh, think you've got, absolutely. got to do that first one, I always think, to, to just know which way the wind's going to blow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, like I said, like so many other writers, my first one is in a drawer and it's probably never going to see the light of day. Um, the second one, I, I, I knew that the first book, the one in the drawer, was rambling and all over the place and so untidy that I needed an element of structure. And I started off the first one with, like I said, a, a, a start point, an end point, and a vague idea of how to get from A to B. But as I've gone on to write other books, I've been like, well, no, I need to be, I need to be a little bit tighter than this, um, because otherwise it's just not going to work. Now, I absolutely love your cover on Blind Justice. It's just brilliant. Where, where did you get that done? Oh, thank you. That, that was, uh, when I say thank you, it's nothing to do with me. Um, that was a pre-made cover um, that I bought from a company called thecovercollection.com. Um, and I, as far as I can work out from their website, it's a couple of, uh, a couple of ladies who do pre-made covers um, in all genres. It was 50 quid. Uh, I saw it. I thought, that is absolutely perfect. I want that one. Uh, so I bought it. I'm just, I'm just looking at, have I used the cover collection? You probably listen to me more than I do, but uh, um, I'm just trying, is it the cover, something collective I've used? I don't know whether I've heard of that one. Okay, no, it's, it's thecovercollection.com uh, and they've, they've got loads and loads of covers. They're dirt cheap. They do custom covers as well, but I think there's a bit of a wait for them, which says it all really. You know, they, they do good stuff, so I'm more than happy to recommend them. Ooh, I'm having a look at that now. That's good. I like it. Yeah, they, they, they've got some cracking stuff on there, mate, and it's not particularly expensive, so... Ooh, now this is very interesting because I'm thinking of getting some, you know, proper covers on my other thrillers and I'm liking those. They're very nice. Okay, cool. Well, I, they've certainly come in my recommendation. Brilliant. Okay, right. Well, let's get a look at then after we've chatted. Thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, no, I, I loved your cover. Now, it's a legal thriller too. And, and, and I found that interesting that you went for legal. What made you go for that? Yeah, not sure, really, because um, I've only been in a courtroom once and that was when I was a kid. And I got done for, um, uh, let's just call them motoring offences. That's probably safer. Um, I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I don't know where it came from. I, I think it was really 
the idea behind the book was um, I was, a bit of backstory here, I, I was working in the Middle East for a while. This was last year. Uh, and I was living in a, um, uh, basically a, a small tin box. Um, you know the things, the metal things that go on the back of lorries? The oh, big yes. Containers. Yes, yeah. Well, I was living in half of one of those well, for I, six months. I tell you, if my writing income doesn't improve, I might be joining you. <laughs> I, I can't recommend them. I can't recommend them. They're, they're called Corimex in, in military uh, military terminology, and it's kind of portable accommodation. So I'm, I'm living in one of those. Um, I was away from home. I was there for six months, and, and I'm a chronic insomniac at the best of times. And one night I was lying there in this metal shipping container, tossing and turning, thinking, well, this, this is a bit rubbish. Um, this is a bit like being in prison, I think. I've never been in prison, but I was imagining. And, and then I had that what-if moment. So what if I was in prison? What if I was in prison for a crime that I didn't commit? And uh, as I'm tossing and turning, I'm like, oh, it's been done before. So many people have done that story. How can I make it different? And, and it just kind of evolved from there. Um, and in the end, it, it turned into a legal thriller. That I knew I wanted it to be a thriller, I knew I wanted the central spine of the story to be about a man who's wrongfully convicted uh, and how he can regain his freedom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it just kind of developed from that central spine. It, it, I didn't set out to say, right, I want to write a legal thriller. That's what I'm going to do. It was a case of, I've got an idea, I've got a central spine, I've got my point A and my point C, how do I get there? And with that particular example, the best way to get there was... Uh, by doing a legal thriller, simple as that. Well, you hear a lot of about um, you know people writing procedural uh, thrillers, and yet you're into legal. So, when you do a legal thriller, how, you know, how much time are you spending on the internet ch- checking out the detail of law? Do you not really need to do that? Can you do it with what you know of TV court cases? I think you can, and I think that's a that's a great start. I mean, there's so many things that you can watch now. Um, there's certainly there was a series. I'm trying to think of the name of it. I think it was Law and Order. Um, that was a British uh, courtroom drama series, and I, I bought a couple of DVDs of that. Had them sent out to me in the Middle East and watched them because I read on the internet that they were very good representations of the legal system. Um, but equally, there, there was probably just as much time spent on the internet trying to work out the subtleties of the legal system, um, in particular the, the legal points of law, etc. And I'm fairly sure that if somebody with a legal background read um, Blind Justice, they, they would probably get about halfway and think, nah, this isn't really particularly good. But it, it's a judgment call. It's, you know, how, to, to what extent do you research a subject before you write about it? I mean, you write sci-fi, Paul, but you've never been to space. Uh, well, uh, absolutely. I know. So it's imagination, isn't it? And also... Exactly, exactly. You get, I think you can get too darn pernickety. You know, it's just like sometimes I just think, just enjoy the story. It's about yeah. imagination, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and as long as it's... My, my original goal was to, to write a story that would... That people like me, that, you know, you, your average Joe reader would read and enjoy. And if that's at the expense of, of a couple of lawyers reading it saying, well, that's, that's never going to happen in real life. That's not accurate. That's not accurate. Okay, that's fine. It, it, it's a work of fiction. I, I've read enough military fiction. Um, and if I'm going to get hung up on, on every single thing that's inaccurate, I'm not going to enjoy the story. I'm not writing for them. I'm writing for everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. So how how did you find it then? Did you know did you find it problematical when you were writing it or did it flow fairly well? No, it flowed it flowed fairly well, I think. Um I, I had a good idea of, of how I wanted the story to develop and how I wanted it to go. Um so yeah, I I, I think it worked fairly well. What does a a writing session look like for you? How 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 and when do you write? Uh, okay, my uh, my writing session is normally early evening. That's my most productive time. Um, so what I try to do is to turn off the internet and all the other distractions. Uh, that normally lasts for about the first 10 minutes, and then <laughs> I turn them all back on again. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I, I, I try my, – my, my goal is to have 2,000 words a day done, um, Monday through Thursday. Uh, I work away during the week, and then I'm at home at the weekend. So I don't write at home. I, I try and make the most of the time during the the week when I don't have other pressures. Well, that, you see, now I think that's quite uh, gr- grueling because that's uh, off. So, so hang on, after work is it? Yeah. Yeah. So you've done a day's work. See, it's funny, isn't it, how people's uh, routines are different? Because you see, that would be my worst time of day. I'd be sort of tired and spent by then. But you, that's your energized time. 
Exactly, and, and in a sense, it's it's a relaxing time. I, I don't watch much telly, um, so it, when I sit down to, to write in the evening, that's my way of relaxing. Some people watch EastEnders, some people watch a film. Um, I like to write because it helps me relax. And then when you are writing then, um, because you'd listen to a lot of podcasts, were you straight to Scrivener or are you, are you a Word document guy? <laughs> No, I, I I was pretty much straight to Scrivener. Uh, I, I fantastic till Scrivener. I absolutely rate it very very highly. I don't know what I did before it or what I would have done before it, and I, and I genuinely don't think I could have done a full length novel without it. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm sure people did. I mean, Charles Dickens didn't have Scrivener, did he? But <laughs> no. <laughs> did, did you do the first one in Scrivener? Was the first one you know free form Word document sort of thing? It, it started off in Word and then it very quickly became obvious that Word wasn't going to work and that I needed something else. So I looked at the various tools that were available, and, and there are a lot of tools available. Um, and in the end, Scrivener kind of leapt out at me, and uh, I bought that. Never looked back. Yeah, and it's a ridiculous price, isn't it? So I think it's something like $20 or something. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but it's not much at all. Plus, it's done by a bunch of people down in Cornwall, so it's British. Uh Not that that makes a difference, obviously. <laughs> but, I, you know, if I'm going to give people money, I'd... I'd not much other, but giving it to other Brits makes me think, yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's a great piece of software. I think they missed a trick in many respects. They they need sort of you know monthly or to put the price up because they could be rich. I they they could double the price. They could do a monthly subscription, and I would happily pay uh, pay for either. I wouldn't be without it. Yeah, I think that's how most people feel, isn't it? So you said you were geeky a little bit earlier on, and uh, uh, having written a story in Scrivener. Uh, you've then got to turn it into, you know, files that, that other people can access. What, what do you do about that bit? Do you, are you a Venom guy or are you uh, using Ven- uh, Scrivener to create the files? Well, I, I did struggle with Scrivener and the compiling aspect of it. I, and I think that's the bit really that they need to have a look at uh, because I, I found it quite tricky. I found it very difficult, in fact. Um, so I had to buy Venom, which is your fault um, because on your podcast you kept going on about it and how fantastic it was. Uh and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll buy it. Paul says it's okay, so I'll buy it. And, um, oh, wow, yeah, fantastic. It's expensive, though. It's very expensive. Yeah, but yeah, but if you've, um, I mean, you haven't been through the pain of doing your own, but I, if, you know, <laughs> I, I did several of my, on my own before Scrivener, and, and it just used to take me so long. And you know, you, right. you, know, in, you know, some jobs you just sick to death of them because they're so grueling. Um, yeah, that's yeah. that's what it used to be like, you know, doing books. And I used to HTML them and everything. And, oh, uh, so when I had Vellum, and you could do it in, I mean, you can do it in 10 minutes, can't you? it's not an exaggeration. No, 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 not at all. It's it's a fantastic tool, and it's one of those things you you know you bite the bullet and you pay for it, and you think, oh, have I have I spent that money wisely? Because there's a lot of people out there for whom we are a we are a market um, as you know self published authors, as as aspiring authors, and what have you. There's a lot of people that are quite happy to offer us stuff, uh, and sometimes sorting the wheat from the chaff is is quite difficult, and particularly when it's a high price item like Vellum. I mean, I I didn't bite the bullet with Vellum until I thought right. If I'm going to take this seriously, and if I am going to have books coming out on a fairly regular basis, I need this. If it was just one book uh, and it was a bucket list thing and tick, forget it, move on to the next thing. I'm not sure Vellum's the best way to go. But if you're going to be serious about it, it's the way ahead. Yeah, I agree. Just before Vellum, I was paying for people to format them for me, and I got on, I got on very well with that. And it was only about a hundred dollars a book or something. It was not a fortune, but actually, we could compare that with the price of Vellum. Actually, it's quite a lot of money, but um, it was all preferable to me doing it, which was such a pain. But uh, no, I, I I totally agree with you. I think if you're doing one book, you wouldn't get Vellum. You'd get you'd pay somebody to do it. But um, more than three, I think you're, you're quids in after that. Definitely, definitely. Money well spent, in my opinion. Yeah, well, that's good, because I think you're the second person who said to me, oh, I, I just went out and bought Vellum because you said so. Uh, oh, Pat, <laughs> yeah, Patrick Sheriff said the same thing, and he said um, he said it was just brilliant. You know, he, he, he put an afternoon by to learn it, and he said it took, <laughs> took, took me 10 minutes. You know, I got the rest yeah, of the afternoon I, uh, free. <laughs> I, know, I, I was like, the, the first time I went through it, I, I put the book in, I pressed a couple of buttons, and I was like, oh, is that it? They're all there. They're all properly formatted, opened up the files. I was like, no, come on, it can't be as easy as that. And it, and it was. But, you know, you you, you, you do pay for that. And, and like you say, for, for one book, I, I don't know if the expense is worth it. But it is if you're writing more than uh, more than one book and you want to carry on without a doubt. 
The, the other thing I've got really ninja with in uh, Vellum, which I, I don't, it took me a little while to realise, to be honest, maybe because I wasn't wide, I was in, you know, Amazon exclusive, is that you could, it's so clever, God, I love it. Um, it's, uh, you can put uh, bespoke um, affiliate links, not affiliate links, but, you know, links to the different channels. Um, and, and it, and it's just really easy to do. So you just put the little codes in, in the, in the URLs, and you can even put your books to read code in there. So every single file that you generate has, you know, specific links to the marketplace in it. And I think oh, that's okay. just amazing, amazing. I, I think you're, you're probably a couple of steps ahead of me there then, in that case, Paul, because, I mean, at the moment I'm, I'm in KU, <laughs> I'm all about Amazon. Um, I've, I've been wide briefly, um, and then I've come back to Amazon. So, But, no, I, I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's really, really good to, um, to do. And, um, but it's sort of, it's ninja too when you're doing, you're using giveaways, aren't you? Free giveaways? Yeah, occasionally when uh, I kind of, I drop in and out of Amazon. So I'll bring something out of Amazon to do a giveaway or a book bub or something like that. And then I'll put it back into Amazon. Um, because that KU income for me, where I am with two books, that KU income is quite important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You can get very easily caught in KU, can't you? Um, just just before we delve into that, into the marketing that I know you've done, I do I do want to go into your book bub uh, in some detail because you were kind okay. enough to let me have that information uh, via sure. email. And uh, um, I've talked. I've t- it's funny. I've just been talking to somebody else today who's a former guest on the show who did a ninety nine pence cents promo. Who's also going to let me share his information as well on the show. So I just think the more we share this stuff, the more we can figure out. Um, you know whether it's we need to be that's what we need to be doing or not yeah, that's a good spend yeah. you know so um so yeah i just wanted to talk to you about um editing before we moved on to the marketing stuff <laughs> all right oh is there a story in there i, I have an opinion on editing go on but please carry on no no, no 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 you go for it mate. well i was gonna i was gonna say to you you know we, we, we got to the scrivener file and we squirted it through vela but i was going to ask you what form did editing take what what editing did you do and what did you get anybody else to do the editing as well yeah, there's a story there behind the editing. Um, with with my first book, Blind Justice, I, uh, I I was bootstrapping it to a degree, and I wrote it. I put it through Grammarly. I put it through Pro Writing Aid, um, and I got it to the point where I thought, yeah, this is this is fine. This is good. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a native English speaker. I'm a grammar pedant. At the end of the day, I'm the sort of person that wants to correct. Uh, you know, road signs, and I get annoyed when I go into Tesco's and see the nine items or less thing because that's not correct. So I thought well, that, that's fine. I I don't need an editor. Uh, yeah, I I was very very wrong with that. Um, and if you looked at the reviews of Blind Justice, my first book, and the first few reviews, the, the common theme was yeah, good story, good characters, but he really does need an editor. Uh, it, it took me a while to, to realise that, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it is a painful, it is a painful truth, isn't it? But it, it's expensive too, and, and and you do have to make these judgments, I think, as you go along, whether they're right or wrong. No, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, my my take on it was, and and I'd listened to so many podcasts and thought I've I know about this, I know what I'm doing. And one of the common themes from that education period was you need an editor. Uh, and I completely ignored it. And I was like, no, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I'm all good. I can get this out there. Um, and then I released the book. And, and as I said, you look at the early reviews, and I, I did track them quite carefully. And the common theme was, yeah, he really does need an editor. Um, and that, that's probably my main lesson through the whole process is, no matter how good you think you are, you're probably not that good. You need a second set of eyes. You need an objective set of eyes on your work. But what were they saying to you, though? What were the what did they say were your writing again? Air quotes problems. What were they identifying there? Uh, it was it was all the stuff that you would expect a good editor to pick up. So it was typos, it was grammar mistakes, um, it was the odd dodgy plot line. Um, although it, to be fair, it wasn't so much that. It was more um, the fine detail. It was the quality issues of the finished product. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at your reviews now, actually, because I mean, when when you look at your reviews, you've actually your reviews are good in the states and the UK. You know, your your average is absolutely is absolutely fine, isn't it? It's, uh, uh, so it hasn't it hasn't suffered. Well, sorry, they'd probably be higher, wouldn't they? Of course, without those ones, but um, you have recovered from them, is what I'm saying. I have. I mean, it it took probably I don't know three four weeks after the book that came out uh, after Blind Justice came out. I mean, I, I used the Hidden Gems um, advanced read a copy service to get some early reviews, um, which is, is quite honest. Um, 
And when I realized there, there was this common theme of, you know, editing, 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 um, I then found an editor uh, and I paid her, it wasn't a massive amount of money. It doesn't have to be expensive. It's the quality that counts. I was really lucky with my editor. Um, and I, I put the book through her, I republished it. And, and now I can tell when somebody has read an early version of the book, because there was a lot of giveaways at the start, versus a later version of the book after my editor, Cora, has, uh, has dug into it. It's quite obvious. How painful was that process? Uh, um, was it like a development, developmental edit? It, it was. It was a mix between uh, developmental and line editing. We we kind of had a chat, and I explained the situation. I said, "Look, I've got a book. I, I think it's okay, but I'm getting hit on the reviews in terms of editing. Um, can you help me out?" So. I, I can't really nail it down to a, a line edit, a copy edit, a developmental edit. It's kind of a bit of me giving her the book and saying, all right, Cora, this is the book. These are the reviews. Can you help me? Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think the interesting thing about that experience, though, is that you can recover from it. You, It's not like this was your traditional writing career. You know, that was it. You printed 50,000 copies and you were done for. You, you could pivot. No, absolutely. And I mean, the, the book, I think Blind Justice, my first book, I've probably updated it five or six times since it was released. And there was a major update, which was when it came back from the editor. And it wasn't really until I saw what she had, uh, what she had provided that I realised quite how, how much I had needed an editor in the first place. I mean, for example, um, Blind Justice is, I think it's about 110,000 words. And I'd used the word lasagna twice. In, in an entire, you know, 400-page book. One time I'd spent, spelt it with an E, one time I'd spelt it with an A. And they're, they're both correct spellings um, to all the various grammar check programs, spell checks, etc., etc. They won't be flagged up as being incorrect. But the inconsistency was there. And, and she picked it up and she was like, oh, well, on page six you say lasagna spelled with an A. And on page 350 you spell it with an E. And I'm like, oh, crikey, you're good. Wow. You're, but yeah. I, I think, you're, you see, your reviews are good. You see, I'm, look, I'm looking through your reviews. Loads of five and four stars there. And people, people are really liking it. So, it's, you know, it's clearly a good book. Once you fix those, that problem, which is actually very fixable, it's not about storytelling. It's, 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 about, it's, about, it's technical, isn't it, really? It's about getting yeah. the engine running. It's, it's polish. That's what it is. It's, it's polish. And, and I, think, I think writers all need that. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I used to think, no, I can do this. This is, this is absolutely fine. I'm all over this. But I genuinely don't think that's the case now. I think no matter how good a writer you are, no matter how good a story is, no matter how good the characters are, the plot development, the, the character uh, interactions, etc., etc., that can all be absolutely fantastic. But I, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I think it was a Selma Book Show podcast. Um, and there was a piece on there about how you didn't really need an editor if you were starting out. You could get by with Pro Writing Aid, with Grammarly, with any of the other, you know, software solutions. Um, and I was, I, I was sitting there in the car, almost shouting at it, saying, "No, no, no, that's not the case," because that's been my experience. I've tried that, I failed, and in the early stages, my book suffered because of it. But because of the uh, the flexibility of self-publishing, I could turn that around fairly quickly. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I, I went through a phase of using ProWritingAid and Grammarly, and uh, just, I think to check them before they went to a proofreader, but I found that often it was confused and not really reliable uh, was my experience of it, uh, and I don't use them anymore. I'm not a fan. I, I still use them. I, I still give uh, the manuscript before it goes to the editor a, a run-through just to pick out the absolute obvious stuff, but I certainly don't go into the level of detail that I did when I was trying to do without an editor. Um, because it just doesn't work. Where did you find your editor, by the way? Because uh, she sounds like she's good. Oh, she's very good. She's very, very good. Um, I've never met her. She's in America. Um, uh, what's her name? Corey, Cora, can't remember her surname, but flukyfiction.com is her website. Um, they run a small independent publishing house, and she does editing on the side. And, in fact, I think I found her through Fiverr, um, which I know some people would say, Fiverr, really? You're going down that road? Um but I found her, I sent a sample off for her to edit. She sent it back. Um, and then we developed a relationship over time. And I, and I think really this isn't something that gets talked about much on, on sort of writing podcasts, but the editor-writer relationship is, is just that. It is a relationship. Um, 
she has the ability to tell me where I'm going wrong without making me feel like I've actually gone wrong. Um, and she'll pick me up on stuff. She'll point me in a direction very, very, not, not nicely, but subtly and say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Why don't you consider doing this? And I look at it and I think, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely right. Um, I'm just disappointed that I missed that first time around. So I, I think the key really to a, an editor is not necessarily how much you pay them, but it's about the quality of the relationship and how much they can help your writing rather than how much you can pay them. Yeah, well, I'm totally about that because um, in my early days, I had a very bad experience with an editor and, and I'm very adamant about this, that if an editor, you want, to, you know, clearly an editor needs to tell you what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. But if an editor doesn't feel, leave you feeling good and positive about your book, you know, if they, they, they can't take the, um, the air out of you, uh, you've got to feel good about it because um, if you don't, you're never going to write more books. No, absolutely. And, and I think to a point, the editor is there as much to encourage you and to tell you that you're doing a good job. But if you just made this change, it would be so much better. Um, and that really is the key. I, and I did go through a fair few editors before I found Cora. Um, and I paid them quite a lot of money. And I look back now and I think, well, yes, you, you edited the text, but you missed the, the, the sense of the writing. You, we didn't have that connection where you knew what I was trying to say and you helped me say it. All you did was correct the grammar. Um, in a slightly more effective way than the software solutions could. And, that, and that's a really important part of the editor-writer relationship for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, that, that goes back to my earlier experience, that the editor just didn't get science fiction. It was like I was having to explain science fiction to somebody for the first time. You know, like, yeah, well, we have gadgets in, in these worlds. That, you yeah. know, I don't need to explain that to you. We just accept this stuff. It's science fiction. Yeah. And it was like, have you ever read any science fiction? Because there's very little point you editing it if you haven't, really. That's, that was my conclusion. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Paul. And I mean, and the other thing with um, with my editor is that because she's uh, the stuff that I write is is quite British, and there's a lot of British idioms, there's a lot of British idiosyncrasies and, and references in there. And, and I think having a non-British editor really helped with that um, because she was looking at them from the perspective of right, do I understand these as a non-Brit? And she helped me uh, modify them so that non-British people could understand what I was trying to say. It's really interesting you say that too because I've had this. I don't that mine aren't Brit thrillers, but they are British. So there are British, um, you know, words and phrases in there. And I, yeah. I know, you know, I'm I'm beginning to think I need to pay more attention to this because sometimes people say I, don't, I haven't got a clue what that meant um, because it's so British and you forget that and you are writing for an international audience. So I, you know, I think I'm going to have to become more aware of that now because I'm begin I'm seeing that feedback too in reviews. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, what, one of the areas that I'm struggling in in terms of sales is most of my sales are to um, to the UK um, and then Canada and Australia, um, not the US. And, and I'm, there's a bit of me now that's thinking, looking forwards, right, okay, uh, that's a much bigger audience. The US audience is much bigger um, than the other territories. So how, how can I tap into that? Um, and I don't know is the answer. That's the next challenge for me, I suspect. I've, start, I've actually started to put at the bottom of my uh, book descriptions on Amazon now, um, I always put that there are seeds of a sexual nature in my thrillers where there are, but also, <laughs> and also um, it, it, because, you know, some people don't like that, and, um, and also that they're written in UK English. So I'm saying that up front so people uh, know that it's not me messing up, you know, uh, because sometimes people will give you bad reviews and say you're, you're spelling incorrectly, um, and whereas actually, no, it's just English, how we spell in England. Yeah, I've, I've not had any reviews that have picked me up on, on British English versus uh, American English. Um, but from the, the, the books themselves, I do try and make it quite clear in the blurb that it's a British book. It's a British thriller. Um, so I, I think I, it's interesting. Uh, Lee Child, for example, he's from uh, Dudley. Um, and he's absolutely nailed how to write and sell to an international audience and not a British audience. So, yeah, that's something I'm going to be giving a, a fair bit of thought to in the next few months, I suspect. Yeah, and again, you, you know, you've got to actually start this journey to learn this stuff. No, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, you? absolutely. It, and it is a journey. It is a journey. It's fascinating stuff. Now, um, the other thing um, I haven't asked you yet is, did you, were you always going to be self-published? Did you, or, or you know, was it a, a part of you that wanted to go trad? There was, I, I'll, I'll confess openly, um, I did send out the... 
some early chapters of Blind Justice to um, agents, etc., etc., and I got absolutely nothing back. Um, and I, I think, in part, the reason for doing that was it was the validation piece. It was a piece about, well, if somebody in the industry thinks this is good enough to publish, then I've, I've kind of made it, you know, I've validated myself, as it were. Um, but that didn't last for long. And in the end, I thought, well, hang on a minute. Why am I doing this? Why, why should I do this? And I'm sitting here now, you know, my first book only came out in April of, uh, of this year, so I'm, I'm fairly new to the whole industry. Um, but I'm doing all right without a traditional deal. Um, would I take one if one knocked on the door? I, I genuinely don't know. And I, I know I've listened to you on the podcast kind of having these uh, these discussions. Um, I genuinely don't know if I would take a, a traditional deal or not. I suspect not. I suspect not. I wouldn't want to be all trad, but I can see the benefit of being hybrid now. I think there's, there's, a, there's a massive benefit to having an in to the traditional industry in terms of the the muscle that they've got in terms of marketing, in terms of exposure, in terms of visibility. And I think that really, visibility, that's one of the key things that independent self-published authors struggle with, is, okay, I've written something, I think it's quite good, people tell me it's quite good, how do I get more people to read it? How do I get more people to, to appreciate what I've written? And that's what the trad industry has got at the moment that most independent authors haven't got, but that's changing. That is changing, and it's the likes of... Uh, you know, Mark Dawson, The Martian is another good example of, uh, you know, um, something that was independently self-published that has just exploded. Uh, um, what was that erotica thing? What's it called? Oh, yeah, Fifty Shades. Fish, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, that, that started out as fan fiction. And I, I think E.L. James has got a bigger boat than I has. Yeah, exactly. I think I was a bit um, quick to answer that, wasn't I, The Fifty Shades? So I, <laughs> I, I should have... I, I should have pretended to deliberate a little bit more on that answer. <laughs> in, in, in fact, Paul, I'm fairly sure behind you on your bookshelf, there's a fairly well-thumbed copy of that book. <laughs> oh, what was that book again? Oh, I struggle to remember. <laughs> Given the game away there. <laughs> okay, so writing the first book, you know, is is only the beginning of this this journey, as we call it. So, you know, I know you've done some promos and you and I have spoken about a book bub. What what the promos look like for you at this stage in your career? We'll get on to talk about that book bub afterwards, if that's okay. Yeah, no, that, that that's fine. I mean, it, it is, it's a visibility thing. I mean, at the end of the day, I am, I am a brand new author. I don't have an audience. I don't have a following. I, I am right at the beginning of the journey. Um, and I mean... It's really about trying – what I'm trying to do at the moment is to get people to read the books, to appreciate what I'm writing, to, to like what I'm writing in the hope that they will want to buy what I'm writing in the future. And, and building that audience, building that tribe, um, to use a, a fairly common phrase um, – and that's really where I'm at at the moment. I don't have read-through. I know we're going to talk about BookBob soon, but I don't have read-through. I, I can't say to people, right, I'll give you this book for, for next to nothing, um, and then lead them into a, a pathway where they'll buy my backlist. That's not where I'm at yet. That's where I'm, I'm hoping to be in the future, but I'm not there just yet. So let's talk about this BookBob then. Now, the difference with this is that this was a 99 pence, 99 cents deal on the first book. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It wasn't just the first book; it was the only book. Um, <laughs> this was a—it was an international book, Bob. Uh, ninety-nine pence, ninety-nine cents, and it was for the Butcher, which is my second book, which is a dark comedy thriller. Uh, nothing to do with legal thrillers. Um, no read-through, no sequel. It was just a standalone. Okay, and so let's talk about the numbers then. Uh, how much do you pay for one of those? First of all, that's. Oh, it was about 200 and something quid, 230, 240 quid. Right, so quite expensive then. And, uh, Not cheap. No, Not cheap. Were, were you jittery beforehand? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, really, my, my goal when I took the book bob on was um, to not lose money. So what I wanted to do was to make what I'd spent back um, in the hope that I would benefit from the visibility that it would give me. Yeah, okay. So how did it go? Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. I made my money back. I, I wasn't out of pocket. Uh, I had, I mean, I'm still, even now, I'm, I'm still getting money trickling in from uh, places like draft to digital um, So there was an outlay up front that I have spent a couple of months getting back. Um, but what I have got is quite a few hundred people reading the book and hopefully enjoying the book. My mailing list 
has increased. I, I can't tie them definitely together, um, but I have noticed an increase in the mailing list through uh, links in the back matter um, and the reviews as well. I, I've got some fairly good reviews that I'm pretty sure have come off the back of the book bub. Yeah, it, it, it delivers, um, you know, web traffic like nothing else. I think a book bub. That's the the truth of it. I don't. I, don't, I haven't seen anything anything like it so far. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I did a whole bunch of other promos as well, um, you know, following the standard advice of, of grouping promos together to try and nudge yourself up the lift, list before the book bub hits, etc. To be honest, I don't think they made much difference at all. Um, at the end of the day, I, I made back what I spent on the book bub and I got my book into the hands of a whole bunch of people who otherwise wouldn't have read it. So from that point of view, it's a success. How much do you need the series, do you feel, you know, having done that? Yeah, I need, I need the series a lot. Uh, and I've, I've listened to you talking about this, and I know we've had discussions via Twitter about, you know, read-through and what have you. And, in fact, it, it was only your last podcast you were saying about the money from BookBub comes from the read-through. So the BookBub that I had, I didn't lose any money. That was my original goal. I got the book into the hands of people who hopefully would read it. It wasn't a money-making venture, whereas... If I'd had a trilogy, it would be completely different, and I, I could be looking at a five thousand pound a month um, royalty share as well. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely crucial. Bookpub's all about read through if you want to make money from it. Yes, but but and and I have I, I'm not going to do this, but I have said if you just want to get your book in people's hands, which is you know frankly a perfectly reasonable thing to want to do, then then that's fine, and you've covered your you've covered your back with it, which is also important. Yeah, I mean, I, I lost no money from it. You know, I, I made back probably slightly more than I put in. Um, and at the end of the day, there's a fair few hundred people reading my book who otherwise wouldn't have read it. And that's where the visibility benefit comes in, um, because I'm hoping that they join the mailing list that, you know, there's there's the awareness, the brand awareness, the author awareness. You know, if they see my next book, they'll be like, oh, well, yeah, I remember reading one of his books off the back of a book, but that was all right. I think I might have a look at that. And you said that, of course, you, you were wide for that. You said you were in draft to digital as well. One of the annoying things I found about being wide is the scritty, scratty bits of money that come in. It's very hard to work out what the heck's going on, I think, when you're wide. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's that. And the, the other thing I found with the book, Bob, was that if you go into um, the library services, it takes quite a long time to come back out of them. Um, and what I wanted to do with the book, Bob, was to come out of being wide fairly sharply so that I could benefit from the KU read-through. Um, and I got stuck in, I think it was Overdrive, and it took a couple of weeks to come out of Overdrive, which meant I couldn't then go back into KU. So the the money that I got from going wide wasn't massive. Uh, was it enough? I don't know. I don't think it was, to be honest. You've got a lovely screenshot. I'm just trying to remember, who was your screenshot next to? One of your heroes, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's really cool. I... Um, I wrote on my website um, quite a long time ago, uh, and I was going after SEO and uh, keywords and what have you. I was like, oh, my influences are Michael Connolly and uh, John Grisham. Because I was thinking, right, I've, I've got a, re a legal thriller that's about to come out. Um, and I do genuinely love both those authors. I think they're fantastic. Um, I've got another story about Michael Connolly, but that might be one for over a beer. Um, but... So I put that on the website, and I was like, these are my two favourite authors, and they have inspired me to write this legal thriller. So, full stop. Then I get the book pub, and I'm sitting there watching the book pub, and I'm watching my book going up the legal thriller charts on Amazon. Um, and I found myself sandwiched in between Michael Connolly on one side and John Grisham on the other. Um, as soon as I saw it, I said, right, I've got to screenshot that. Uh, I put that on my Twitter as my pinned tweet. Uh, and it's something like, yeah, checking out the neighbours. They look all right, you know. Um, and, yeah, that, that was fantastic. And, and to be honest, that screenshot, I would have paid 200 quid for that screenshot <laughs> <laughs> without any of the other benefits. I was like, eh, check me out. I'm, I'm, you know, higher up in the rankings than Michael Connolly and only just behind John Grisham. So look at me. It does feel amazing, doesn't it? When I was I was having a little bit of joy in the Apple uh, store, you know, when it, with my last book, Bub. Um, it was fe it's very exciting to be next to people like Lee Child and things. And you, you know you're going to come dropping out like a stone, but you can, like, imagine while you're there, can't you? You can enjoy it while you're there. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Like I say, it, it's the bucket list stuff. You know, I, I, I could sit there in a pub over a pint and say, yeah, well, you know, John Grisham, he's all right. I was above him in the charts. Yeah. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't matter that it was only for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I think you've got to enjoy these thrills as, as you get them in your author career. 
but they're, they're not just thrills pod. I mean, that's like I say, you know, I'm, I'm making a joke about that being my pinned Twitter um, Twitter tweet. Um, but you know, that that's a really good marketing thing for me is is to be able to show people a screenshot of the Amazon store with me with two huge authors on either side of me. So that that that's you know that's a tangible benefit. Yeah, it's brilliant positioning. You you, you can't beat that. Um, so I, I, I've um, I've mismanaged my time because I haven't even talked about the butcher yet, which is your second book. <laughs> and, uh, but but we must we must just sort of uh, you know talk about the second book. I, I, I take it did it come easier this one or was it a struggle? No, it it, it came a lot easier. Uh, I mean, it's a very different book. It, it's a dark comedy. It's not a thriller. It, it is a thriller, but it's not a legal thriller. So it's it's almost a separate genre. Um, but it was one that I wanted to write, and I, I really loved writing it. I enjoyed writing it. Um, it's just a shame it hasn't sold anywhere near as well as um, the legal thriller. Will you come back to the legal thriller? Oh, without a doubt. I've, I'm, I'm, at the moment, I'm working on a sequel to The Butcher, and I'm plotting uh, and planning a sequel to Blind Justice. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely come back to it. And what I'm planning on doing over the next couple of years, I talked earlier about, you know, three-year, five-year, ten-year plan. But the three-year plan is, is firmly fixed on having two trilogies, one in the traditional thriller category. So Blind Justice is a legal thriller. The follow-on to that won't quite be a legal thriller, but it'll kind of be a quasi-legal thriller. And at the same time, I'll have a dark humour trilogy um, that's much more fun yeah okay and then the other thing um that i've only just clocked actually is you've got an audio book done of the butcher i have yeah that's 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 fairly new actually i i had i was probably a bit premature to be honest in getting an audio book done um i spent a fair whack of money getting that narrated um i didn't want to go down a, a kind of royalty share route so i i stomped up and had that done um part of that was wanting to have the audio book alongside the ebook and the print book as close to release as I could, um, which with hindsight probably could have waited for a little while until I knew that the butcher was selling well before having that done. But I, ha I had the narration done, I had all the files, and I thought, right, okay, what can I do with these other than just sell it as an audiobook? So I decided to launch a podcast, um, the idea being that I would launch each chapter on a weekday um, in the hope that people would download the chapters not want to wait until all the chapters had been released to listen to the audiobook and then buy the full audiobook uh, from me directly. That, that was the original plan. Fantastic. Well, I will put all the links, all the relevant links on your show notes page. Um, but yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't clocked the audio. Um, yeah, it's interesting with audio, isn't it? I think you know, I'm the same as you. I think I would, I think my advice, I only, I've only ever had one done. Uh, the first part of a trilogy, which is not very helpful. Um, but I, I'm the same as you. I think I'd wait to see that the book's selling before I invested the money in an audio. It's a lot of money, isn't it? A lot of time as well. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. I, I do think I jumped the gun there. I, I was a little bit too enthusiastic uh, about the, you know, anticipated success of The Butcher. And, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's selling all right. I'm, I'm getting money from it. Um, but it's not... It's, it's not gone to the top of the charts or anything like that. So, But really what I'm trying to do, it's, it's a bit of an experiment. Um, you know, I mean, serialised fiction is nothing new. Um, Dickens was doing it, Shakespeare was doing it. Uh, it's nothing new, it's just a different medium that it's being delivered. So I've got the podcast up. Uh, each chapter is, it's got an intro and an outro recorded by me, which I didn't particularly enjoy doing, uh, pointing people towards where they can purchase the full audiobook from. Uh, and my plan is to release each chapter over the course of a couple of weeks and, and just see what happens. And if nothing happens, then I've not lost anything because I've got the audio anyway. I've, I've purchased the audio. It was sitting there. So... I wouldn't have lost anything. And if I get some more readers, then so much the better. And if it takes off, then that in itself is a lesson learned. Well, you, you've done brilliantly. You, you've gone from when I first encountered you online to being un, unpublished to having, you know, a heck of a lot of stuff out there. And, and you, you're right in the thick of it, you know, book bubs and everything. So you sound like an old hand already, which is, <laughs> which is brilliant. So congratulations on that. You know, it's great to see people doing this stuff and having success with it. You said right at the beginning of this interview that you're a planner. So let's take you further out. Ten years' time, what are we uh -huh. going to have? Movies? Oh, ten years out, I'm going to have a massive boat on the Norfolk Broads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've yeah, I, I have planned the whole thing out quite carefully. And like I said, I've got, I've got a one-year, a three-year, a five-year plan. Um, the the ten-year plan, I suppose, ultimately, it would be to retire. 
um, and not have to work and just write and, and enjoy writing and, you know, accept the fact that it's helping me to, to live. Um, whether that could be achieved or not, I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll see. Ten years is a long way away, mate. I'm, I'm on year two. Uh, so far, I've hit every target. So you never know. I'll see you in the pension queue. <laughs> see you there you'll, you'll be there before me mate. <laughs> that was nathan burrows and you can check out nathan's website at nathanburrows.com if you'd like to hear nathan's answers to my five quickfire author questions plus an additional bonus question that i asked him i just sneaked it in at the end then you need to head over to patreon.com forward slash paul teague and you'll be able to access the audio there along with all sorts of extra author goodies if you are a patreon supporter at the basic rate of one dollar per month you'll be able to access all of the extra bits and pieces and dvd extras as i call them from this podcast have a great week of writing i'll see you on saturday Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week. <laughs>